Romans 8 verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And may God uh, take these words and write them on our hearts. Well, we are at our last, our final sermon for Romans chapter 8. Don't know if you're keeping count, but this is number 11. I told you we would come to this chapter and we would slow down in this series in Romans. Uh, and uh, of the 39 messages, including tonight, 11 have come from this text, which I think demonstrates a measure of its importance in our life as a Christian. If there's any text of the New Testament, any chapter of the New Testament that would be important in your life of faith in in the Lord Jesus, I, I would set this chapter before you in a heartbeat for what it contains, for teaching t- to us about uh, that that knowledge of the assurance of God's grace and love in our lives. And this, this focus of this message uh, this evening, again, comes and deals with that issue. God is love. Who God is and what He has done for us. The demonstration of His love to, to us. And, and tonight, its focus, as you can tell from the title, its focus is on you being fully assured. I ask this question again and again. Are you assured of God's love? And you know, my friends, that is a question that's easy for you to answer tonight in the specter of this service of worship, in the company of other saints. I would dare to say that most of you would sit there and say, well, yes, I am persuaded. I am assured of God's love. Well, this message isn't for this moment alone. You've got to get up in the morning and meet the world that's before you. And and especially with the verses we're focused on tonight, verses 38 and 39, you do not know what is before you. I've often thought as much as I would like to say that in my life of faith, if some of the great severe trials were to come upon my life, that I would be faithful. I would hope that I would be faithful. But you know, I don't know if I could be like Job. I would be resting and trusting in the grace of God that would meet me in those moments to help. But wouldn't there be a case 
where something could rise that would make me doubt God's love? And would this be a week where, where Satan might try to tempt that in us? You see why this is so important? Are you persuaded of God's love? And these two verses at the end of this chapter, they actually begin, I mean, they actually conclude what Paul began all the way back in chapter 5. When he began to talk about the benefits that we experience because of the justifying grace of Jesus Christ. And you recall back in chapter 5, verse 5, he spoke there about the glory and the wonder of the Holy Spirit pouring out into our hearts the love of God. You see, the love that we have at work in us and exercising within us, it isn't a love that we've just simply generated ourselves so that someone can say, look, Kevin Carter, he's a man of love. (laughs) We don't have that capacity within us. It's something that comes and flows from God's grace to us. You know, I, I challenge mothers on this all the time to consider, especially as Christians, that we often think that it's a very natural, instinctive thing for a mother to love their children. But it is only the goodness of God And I would dare to say it in this light, it is only the common grace of God at work in their hearts that brings forth that. It's not instinctive. The the instinctive nature of our heart is (laughs) self-preservation. Is self-glory. It is taking care of this person. It is selfishness. This is the nature of a fallen heart. And when you see a mother loving their child or a parent, a father loving their child, well, that is God's common grace. We don't think of it in that way, do we? But that's the reality. And even more, having been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, we we heard Paul saying, and, and God by His Spirit has now poured His love into you. Isn't that amazing? That the love we are exercising is God's love. And yet we can doubt that, even with all of that. And that's why Paul is so focused on here in, in, in stressing this truth. What can separate you from God's love? Do you grasp this? God is love. My dear friends, we sometimes maybe take it for granted. We sometimes may become tired of hearing it. But I want, you to, I want you to grasp this. That statement, God is love, is one of the most amazing truths conveyed in Holy Scripture. If you were to look in the Old Testament, there's two words in the Old Testament that are often translated to express the nature of God's love. And one is just that that very word, love itself, aheb, that God loves. (laughs) The other is a, a covenant word. It's kased. It's the, the word that we saw in the hymn, in the psalm that we sang, your loving kindness. 
It's a covenanting love that we heard of in in Deuteronomy 7 when God says, I in faithfulness to my covenant have set my love upon you. It's a bonded love from God that cannot be broken. And God said this loving kindness, this mercy, this grace, this faithful love of mine is now upon you. God is love. And it's one of the most amazing truths of Scripture. And why? Why is God is love so amazing? Especially when we understand ourselves to be sinners. Especially when we know who we are as wretched, sinful, rebellious, fallen, unworthy, finite creatures who deserve His wrath. I think today you might be tired of hearing that truth about who we are in our fallen nature. But when you understand that truth of who we are in, in, as a people who have fallen short of God's glory, to think God is love ought to be all the more amazing. Because the simple truth is, because of who God is, He, he is Yahweh. He is the one who is self-existing. Even before creation, God existed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in that blessed Trinity in perfect love and harmony and unity, lacking nothing. Yahweh, self-existing, self-sufficient, eternal being who needs no one who stands in need of nothing and yet has desired to love. It's not that we add to His glory in any measure. It's that God adds to us His glory. It's amazing. This God who is holy and pure and righteous and just and jealous, who punishes sin and every offense that rises against His glory. And we who are wretched and rebellious and fallen and finite creatures who deserve His wrath, we sit here and we realize how in love, in love, He has chosen us. It is amazing. It is humbling. And many of the writers of Scripture stood in amazement of it. And, and again, you've heard this passage often in this series of Romans, but it comes out again here. John, I believe, has, has brought forth the fullest measure of amazement in 1 John 3 when he says this about the, God's love. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Can you not hear him expressing the wonder, the amazement, that God should delight in loving this wretch and making him his children, his child. And that word, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed. That word bestowed, it's a verb. It's a verb just to parse it. It's it's. Perfect, active, indicative. And what that means is this. 
a little grammar lesson because it brings an emphasis again to John using this word. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed. Let me put it this way. Behold what manner of love the Father has completely and purposefully desired to set upon you. This wasn't a happenstance. This was a divine intended intended purpose of God that is complete in all that is expressed by it. And nothing compares to this. I was thinking, reading just a couple weeks ago about an individual who won, I think it was $70 million. And he said these words. He says, I, I can't believe it happened to me. <laughs> and I thought, well, why couldn't you? You bought a ticket. <laughs> I mean, you probably didn't think you had the, the possibility of winning it, but you had the chance. So there was a chance. It could have happened to you, and it did. And it's amazing. But my friends, not even winning $70 million, seriously, compares to understanding this truth. God is love. He has loved me. Stand in this amazing grace. You know, that's, that's why I think John Newton, Charles Wesley, they got it right when they said, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Amazing love. How can it be that my God should love me? But He has. And like John, I encourage you and exhort you to understand you, if you are in Christ, beloved, now we are the children of God. And my point in stressing this, as we come to the end of this chapter, my point in stressing this is grasping this truth is, is important. We don't grasp this truth as an excuse for continuing in sin. We don't grasp this truth as a reason to treat sin lightly or to ignore the issues of heaven and hell or to presume God's forgiving mercies and graces in our life. We grasp this truth to be humbled and to be assured of who we are in the Lord Jesus. It is a most humbling truth that is meant to assure our souls in this earthly life that is filled with so many troubles that the God who is love, the God who has justified you in Christ, is the God who will ensure that nothing will ever separate you from His love. That's why we sang from Psalm 107 those words. You know, the, those opening words, the, the people wandering in the wilderness, looking for a city, not having a home. And who is it that comes down and meets these people in this wilderness? It is God who leads them to a city and who fills them with His goodness. That's us, dear people. The side of heaven. And I ask you, are you persuaded, as Paul says here, that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
You need to be persuaded. Because there are forces that attempt to dissuade you. And you look here in verses 38 and 39 and and Paul mentions another series of of things, but they're actually, I would like to say, they're beings and, and, and a response to that question of who. This is the answer to that who. When you read verses 38 and 39, they are not the same as verse 35 when Paul focused in verse 35 asking that question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes on to mention seven things that deal with trials and tribulations and turmoils and struggles and sufferings and afflictions and anxieties and pains and all these issues that we in reality experience and we tangibly meet them in our lives. We're dealing with the issues of life. And if that wasn't bad enough, how many times do we find ourselves like Job would have found after after the Chaldeans took all of his possessions and all of his herd and his wealth and others came and destroyed all of his crops and his livelihood and, and that wind came and took away all of his children one on top of another on top of another the devastation that was brought into his life and finally it culminated with Job sitting there disfigured by a plague that came upon his body the realities of those trials and afflictions and sufferings, we know them. Wouldn't there come a point at which we would just sit back and say, doesn't God love me anymore? I mean, some of us do that after one affliction. (laughs) I don't know why. I don't know why this is happening to me. And we covered that. And in these issues of life that we experience, we understand that there are trials and there's always a, a one behind them that is trying to get you to doubt the who. Well, verse 38 and 39 bring us to that who. <laughs> they bring us to the spiritual forces that are at work attempting to dissuade you that God loves you. Neither death nor life, angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, height nor depth nor any other created thing. This is the who. We heard it this morning. Those of you who were here in our covenant renewal time, What did Paul remind us? That in all of the trials and strugglings of our life, are we wrestling with our neighbor who is falsely accusing us? Are we wrestling with that affliction that comes upon our body and causes us pain? Or are we wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly And Paul sets before us a list of those things that are beyond our visible sight, beyond even this, beyond any meaningful control or ability of ours to restrain. We can find a measure of relief with a physical ailment by taking a pill, (laughs) maybe having to endure something for a while and then seeing it go away. But but which of us here can say that we can fight 
those principalities and powers that are always at work trying to dissuade us of the love of God. Isn't that what Satan did with Job? You know, I I think I may have said this before, but I've always wondered, did Job ever realize what was really at work? Did he? We don't know, do we? I think purposely. (laughs) We have an understanding of that. And, And Paul brings our attention to this truth that there are powers and principalities at work trying to dissuade you so that you understand that there's nothing impersonable, impersonal about what you are experiencing in your life. When you have something happen, it isn't a matter of fate. It isn't a matter of chance or coincidence. It isn't a matter that faith is dealing you some bad cards at this time. Isn't that how the world talks? The Christian should never talk that way. We understand there is nothing impersonal about our life. We are in a relationship with God. And we have an enemy who hates God. And what does John write in Romans 12 about that? That he being cast down, the devil is on the earth to wage his hatred against God by attacking His church. And all the attempts that He lists here. And, and look at them. There's, there's five categories here or five couplets and, and items here that He addresses. He says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life. Let me ask you this. And, and some people understand what I'm going to say when I ask this. Is, do you fear death? Are you afraid to die? I know many Christians would answer this way. It's not death I fear, it's the way I die that I'm worried about. (laughs) I don't want to suffer. What if your suffering and death brings glory to God? How many fear living life filled with suffering? That's all around us. But He comes to say the one upon whom the love of God has been poured out. I am persuaded neither death nor life. Death is no more my enemy than the afflictions of life are. Christ, for me to live, it's Christ. To die, gain. It's already been won for us. And I say that because I had this experience at my aunt's funeral when the minister, and he was not a godly minister, he was not a man of scripture, and he made the comment that life is what separates us from God. And the idea that everyone who dies eventually gets to heaven. And it doesn't. Whether we live or die, Paul is saying here, nothing is separating us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If we are in Christ, no force is able to rob us of that union. Angels, principalities, and powers. I think it's a reference both to the angels 
who often brought fear and terror to people when they saw them, and demons and wicked hosts that, while powerful, have no hold on you. This is the the who. Who can separate you? Can, Can Satan separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? No. However hellish he may make your life. In present or future, problems, threats unknown, how many people in these last three months, how many people have you heard living in fear? Just really doubting what is going to happen. And we do not know what holds for us in this coming week. We have no view on the future. We can make plans. We can prepare our lives to go forward in, into this week with, with guided principles and plans and purposes. But we don't know what the end of this week is going to have in store for us. Fear of those things. The love of God is with us. It's not fear governing our lives. Height nor depth. There's nothing in heaven nor hell that works or can work contrary to the love that God has for you. Nor any created thing. God who is the great I Am, He rules over all things for your salvation. You see what he's saying here? Is that when we look at all of these spiritual forces that exist, that are beyond our ability to control or or to uh, have any restraint upon, they still do not work against us. If we are in Christ Jesus, the love of God is upon us, and God is the one who is at work in all things for our good. I think some of you know Psalm 139. I know some of you have memorized this psalm. But I believe Paul is reflective on a portion of this. Listen to what he says. When he, when he asks this question here, uh, who can separate us from the love of Christ? And he says, I'm persuaded nothing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen to these words from Psalm 139 where the psalmist David is expressing that same point. He says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I make my bed in hell, sorry, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. In other words, if my life is going forward and it's all joy and happiness, or if I find myself in troubles like Jonah in the pit of the well, Uh, in the belly of the whale, feeling like he was in the pit of the grave. David is saying, God, you're there. You're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. Surely the if I say surely the darkness shall follow me even the night shall be light about me indeed the darkness shall not hide from you but the night shines as the day the darkness and the light are both alike to you in other words god himself is unchanging 
in his being. He is not affected by Satan, by sin, by the darkness. And because he is unchanging, he remains faithful to you. You see, that's what Paul is saying here. And why is it that all the attempts of these unseen forces to dissuade you cannot work? Is it because your faith is so faithful and steadfast? Is it because you have grasped firmly this promise and you will believe it? Whether it is darkness or light in your life, I know rhetorical questions you're already understanding that no, it isn't because of our faith. We, we know we're going to falter. No, why is it that all of these forces attempting to dissuade you of God's love, attempting to separate you from God's love, why is it that they were all fail in their attempts? It is because of who God. And that's what Paul is getting at as he concludes this chapter. Why is it that you can be assured of God's love? It is because of God Himself. Do you remember, as we heard already, God's covenanted love to Israel is what moved Him to be faithful to that promise. And it's that same covenanting love that that God has for us. It's an extension of who He is as God is love. And what does He say about all the promises that He has made to us? He says that every promise of God in Christ Jesus, every promise of God in Him, they are yes. In Him they are amen. He cannot fail to do for you anything that He has promised you. Because He is God. God who does not lie. God who can swear by no one greater because He is God. And God who has made these promises in Christ His Son. In the work that He's done for you. In the person of who He is. You see, it's not our faith. It's not in us that we find the the holding fast of this promise. It is in Christ Jesus. And it is the fullness of the Godhead that is securing this assurance that we have. God the Father, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, He's made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. God's love to you. This is the amazing thing. God's love to you began from eternity. It began even in your life before you loved Him. He did not set His love upon you because you were free of sin and because in your heart you loved God. No, even when we were dead in trespasses, because of His great love with which He has loved us, He made us alive. His love was already there at work. You see why it's so amazing? And the love the Son has for us. From eternity, He 
prepared himself to be that Lamb of God who would shed his blood for your sins from eternity. God the Spirit. Again, it's an amazing thing. Amazing thing to consider about the Spirit. What's, what's the first thing we hear about the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love. <laughs> Very beginning, isn't it? And it's the love He's working in us. You see, it's the fullness of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are ensuring Nothing will ever separate us from His love. And the Spirit brings life to this promise and assurance in our very lives. And that's why Paul could say, I am persuaded there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I know many of you know Augustus Top Lady's most famous hymn. You may not know the author's name, but you know the famous hymn. Rock of Ages. How many of you know that? And how many can sing the first line? Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Do you know he wrote another hymn? And he was a man who understood these verses of Paul. I want to just read to you, in closing, the verses of this hymn. 463 in our hymn book. A debtor to mercy alone. Uh, We would have sung it tonight, but tonight is our psalm service. We'll probably sing it next week. But listen to this. The work which His goodness began, the arm of His strength will complete. His promise is yes and amen, and never was forfeited yet. Things future, nor things that are now, nor all things below or above, can make him his purpose forego or sever my soul from his love. My name from the palms of his hand eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart it remains in marks of indelible grace. Yet I to the end shall endure assure, as sure as the earnest is given. Listen to this. More happy, but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. You hear what he's saying there? He's saying, of a truth, those who have already gone before us into eternal glory, they have seen a measure of the realization of God's love as they are now dwelling in His Spirit by their souls. Dwelling in His presence by the, in, in their souls. Their, their bodies are in the grave waiting for the day of resurrection. But already now, they are enjoying the perfections of God's love. But they are no more secure in that love than we are here on earth. Or should I say it the other way? We are no less secure in that love than they already are. They may be more joyful in it, but not more secure because we are already in His love. And already that promise is saying to us, nothing 
will separate you from it. Be persuaded, my dear people. And I have to say, the only way you can be persuaded is if you are in Christ. Do you know the love of God the Father and the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit? Has God's love been poured out in your heart? And be assured, nothing will separate you from it. Let us pray.